People have the silliest arguments, don't we? For instance, is the hot dog a sandwich or a taco? You got to choose one. All right, we'll debate that later. I'm on team taco if those are my choices. But one of my favorite stories I, I heard about, a silly argument. These two uh, roommates in college and, you know, it started like any other day, but then the argument kind of just escalated, and it started with, is the Cheeto a chip? You know, it started off just debating their size, but then voices were raised, and of course it ended with them calling Frito-Lay to, to get the answer. And Frito-Lay said, in fact, that the Cheetos are not chips. So uh, one roommate, one over the other. Or my favorite story that I've read recently about a mom watching her five-year-old and, and his friend, and they're outside playing, and... Before you know it, they're both coming in, they're crying, and there's blood, and, and they, I mean, the fight went to levels she was not ready for, and she said, what are you guys arguing about? What is the fight over? And said, we're arguing over how big our imaginary friend is. <laughs> I mean, we will argue about anything, won't we? You put people in a room, and they'll just, they'll argue about whatever they can find. But this community that God establishes here is called to be different. We're called to be his body and his church. And today we're going to close out our series on Galatians. And Paul has a message for his church. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 6. My name is Cale Courtright. I want to welcome you again. I'm one of the ministers here. And if you're joining us online or in person, we're so glad that you have chosen to start your week this week right here with the family of God. There's not a better way to start your week and I know we're entering into a busy season of the year with all the things that we'll have going on, but I want you to know that our priority around here does not change. And it's to point people to Jesus and to give him all the glory. And so even if we're busy, we still have opportunities to proclaim his glory. For instance, at Trunk or Treat tonight, our community is going to get a glimpse of this church family. It's, it's an act of service, an act of love and so that's still going to be a priority. If you've got nothing to do this afternoon, the Cowboy game will end before Trunk or Treat starts. So you have no excuse. Come join us this evening. It's going to be a lot of fun. You also walked right past the table on your way in today. Thanksgiving is just around the corner. You've, this church has already raised the money to provide about 140 meals for Thanksgiving for a bunch of families in our community. And now we need you to sign up to deliver those meals. So on November 20th, the stage will be full of all of those meals. And then after our service together, we'll deliver those all around town, making a huge impact for the glory of God um, as a church family. As I said, we're finishing up a series on Galatians today. And this has been an important book, and it's all about what, what it does it mean for us to take seriously the claim that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. What does that mean for us? And we, last week we talked about trying to put to death the flesh that's in us. We're all in the same battle, in the same war, trying to live by the Spirit, not by the flesh. And the challenge that I put before you last week was to spend one of your meals in the past week fasting. Now, we're not going to do a raise of hands uh, because Jesus tells us to practice our righteousness in secret. However, you can talk to me about it afterwards. <laughs> Somebody's already asked. That was a one-time thing, right? I said, well, I mean, depends on how you read scripture, I guess. So, <laughs> so I hope you had that experience because we, we want to win in our fight against the flesh. We want to, by the Spirit's power, put to death that flesh and be, as Paul proclaimed, crucified with Christ. And now our life is lived in him. 
And so today we're going to finish this series. We're going to read from Galatians 6. And Paul, as I said, has a message for that church. What does it mean if you're going to live by the Spirit as a church family? Let's read together starting in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Just like the call in Galatians 5, to put to death the flesh and to live by the Spirit, so too, he says, if you're going to be my church, if you're going to be the church of Jesus Christ, you need to lean into the Spirit. The call is to be a community that is Spirit-led and Spirit-filled. And that's our call for the God's church that meets here at 3020 Barden Road here in Grand Prairie, is to be a church that is Spirit-led and Spirit-filled. That is our call and who we desire to be. But it is fair to ask, what does that look like? What are some components that Paul just said that we need to embody as a church family? So let's open this up just a little bit today. The first thing is that we need to be a community of accountability. A community of accountability. So if you look there at verse 1, he says, If somebody is caught in sin, and you imagine a world in which, how do you get caught in sin? What does that look like? You know, last week we talked about confessing also, about these secret sins that we might have and confessing them before the body, but this is a little bit different. What if somebody is caught in sin? What if I fail and you see it? What if I I live in such a way that does not honor Christ, that is kind of leaning into my fleshly side? He says, what do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what the easy thing to do with that is, is to look the other way, right? It's easy to act like I didn't see it. It's even easier for us to come in here every Sunday and whenever we see each other and say, how are things going? And say, it's good. Everything's good. It's great even. I'm really busy. A lot of stuff going on. And we act like we don't have these things. We act like we we walked in here and we didn't have sin. But here's the truth of the matter, church, that everybody who walked in here today walked in here as a flawed, sinful person, didn't we? As a person in need of Jesus. And so we can be honest with each other. So the the first call of this to be a community that has accountability is to be open with one another. It's to be confessional like we challenged ourselves to last week. To be honest. This is a place you can be honest with each other and vulnerable because we know, again, from the beginning that we're not perfect, that we did mess up, we did sin. There was a reason that God sent his son for us. This should be a place of honesty, of vulnerability, but how do we, what do we do with that then? He doesn't just say, uh, just call them out. He says, no, you restore that person gently. If you remember, gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. So what you do with that matters. And we can also follow the way of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. 
But if they won't listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. I don't know if you've ever been in a moment before in a situation when somebody was holding you accountable. Somebody was calling out the sin in your life. And lately, and this is probably universally true for a lot of us, the first reaction we want to have is to say, don't judge me. Because see, we just read from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's also in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says, before you judge someone else, remove the plank from your eye before you try, try to remove their plank. Jesus said both things, the same Gospel of Matthew. So how do we reconcile those two? And I think, I think it's understandable the heart in which we, we receive these things or the heart in which we give these things. So on one hand, we don't, want to, we don't come with judgment. We don't come to try to tear somebody down, but we come in a heart of love to restore somebody. Those are, those are different ideas, aren't they? To judge someone harshly versus restore them gently. Anyone who has, has kids or grandkids or maybe you've even just been a babysitter before know, knows that bedtime is not that much fun. And anyone that says they enjoy bedtime is a liar and we're going to hold you accountable. Because <laughs> I don't know how kids come up with this stuff, but from a young age, they, they learn these delay tactics, don't they? You're like, it's time for bed. And they just all, all way, already come up with this stuff that maybe... It can be very frustrating, but I remember when Stephen was about three, our oldest was about three years old, and we're like, it's time for bed, and he says, but Dad, we haven't prayed today or read the Bible yet. <laughs> and you're like, what do I do with this? Because it's bedtime. I know what you're doing, but man, that's pretty smart, right? Like, that's, what are you going to do with that? Or maybe we think about our kids, and, and, or maybe our, our, our spouse is in here, and we're like, you got to eat your vegetables, right? And I know maybe they taste good to some of you, and maybe they don't to others, but you got to eat your vegetables. And you're like, oh, I'll never forget seeing our kids just sit there for 30, 45 minutes, an hour, just staring at cold green beans. You're like, you got to eat your vegetables. You know what? It's not that much fun, bedtime or vegetables. That's not what I'm looking to do in a day, right? But why do we go through these things as parents? as grandparents, as loved ones. We do it because we love them, right? We, we, we enforce bedtime. We do things like that because we love them. And so too, as the church of Jesus Christ, as the body here, we hold one another accountable. Not because it's fun, not because I'm hoping that you sin or fail in some way, but because we love one another. And so we want to hold people to this. We want to put them back on the right path. We want to restore them gently so that way they can walk in Christ this is who we are called to be and it's we do this because we love each other none of us church are going to drift into discipleship we're not going to by accident just end up the right the exact right person but it is by the spirit at work in you and by your brothers and sisters around you that you will hold to the path and so be the kind of person that's willing to hold one another accountable. Be the kind of person that has a receptive heart to accountability, knowing that it's coming from a place of love. The second thing is that we want to be a community of responsibility. Paul here says that we don't compare ourselves to anyone else. And I was thinking about comparison and how we live in a time that we just compare ourselves to everyone, don't we? 
And we probably always did this when you would visit a friend or you would see the, the neighbor in their new car, but now we see all the neighbors and all their new things you know, through social media and other stuff like that. I recently read that it's a superpower if you can figure out how not to compare yourself to other people. I think there's some truth to that. You know, I wanted to come prepared this morning, so I did a quick Google search. Comparison and social media. And I didn't find one article, but I found dozens of articles about how this leads us to compare ourselves to other people. And it leads to things um, like isolation and depression and other things that we don't want to be the kind of people who compare. And this is especially difficult, it says, for those who are preteens and teens, but I know a bunch of adults that have a just as much hard time with this, don't I? And so, you know what happened? The social media companies know this is a problem. So Instagram, a couple years ago, started, started playing with the idea of just turning likes off. Because we, we want those likes, don't we? Because it makes us feel good. But then what happened is people started comparing. Why don't I get as many likes as, as they do? Why did I get fewer this week than last week? And so they, they started figuring out how you could turn it off. Because for the health, for your health, that way you wouldn't compare yourself so much to other people. And here Paul says, don't compare yourself to anyone else. And there's power in this, isn't there? In this call. And if we can live into this, there's power in not comparing ourselves. Now, he has one idea in mind, but I think it is informed by this. You don't have to compare yourself to anyone because Jesus Christ loves you just how you are today. Exactly as you are. Now, he's not done with you. He's trying to transform you into his image, but he loves you exactly as you are. In fact, from the beginning, he put his image in you. That he knew you while he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. That he said you were worth it at your worst moment for him to take, upon, take the cross on. You are worthy of his spirit dwelling in you. So you are just as he created you to be. And you don't have to compare yourself to anybody else. So too, when we're part of this church family, we have a responsibility. That he's given you a gift and a talent. And you're called to be responsible with that. Not all of us are built to be teachers of kids in the back. But for those that are, we're called to be responsible to that. We don't, we're not jealous of one another's gifts because we give glory to God through their gift. We see how God has gifted them and we praise God when they're used in that way. And so too, we're called to be part of this church family. I believe that Jesus Christ is bringing this body together. And when we're all here using our gifts and talents, we are the body of Christ. This is Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. In church, this is why you are necessary here. Your gift and talent. And in God's church, there is no small gift. There is no small role. So we bring that for his glory here. This is why we try to put so many things in front of you. Yes, like trunk or treat or serving in our kids ministry or delivering a Thanksgiving meal to somebody else. We want to bring our gifts before the throne of God, before the cross and give him glory. But we also take, take notice of what Paul says here. We don't boast in what the gifting that we have. The glory goes to him, doesn't go to us. We praise God for how he has gifted this entire church. So we're a community of accountability. We're a community of responsibility, but we also are called to be a community of goodness. 
We're called to be good people. And I know that sounds like what your mom taught you a long time ago, but it's true. This is an action verb. This isn't just withholding evil from somebody. This is giving something good. This is a sacrificial act. This is giving of yourself for the other. This is how we're called to be. Treat everyone good. We're called to be like the community that we, that we read about in Acts. So Acts chapter 4 reads, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, there was no needy persons among them. I want to read that again, because I don't know how you thought that sentence might end, but it ended different than I thought. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Church, tonight, people are going to come to Trunk or Treat, and they're going to get a glimpse of this church family. And they're going to make a judgment by what they see. Is this the kind of family that treats one another good or not? They may not agree with us. They may not believe like we do, but when they see us treat each other well, it is powerful. Now, I thought, again, in my spirit of being prepared, I thought about Googling people behaving badly, but I was really afraid of what I would find. <laughs> because you've seen it, haven't you? Whether it's, it's through your social media or YouTube, what, you've seen it, or maybe you've been there in person, but you've seen when your flight is delayed and people are, you know, giving giving it to the lady sitting there at the desk, right? Though she's not the pilot or the mechanic, you know? You've been at a restaurant, you've seen how people treat their waiters or waitresses, but we're called to be good. To be good, loving people wherever we go. And believe that that is the testimony that the world needs to see. It's how we've been changed. You know, for the Christian, the ends do not get to justify the means. We don't get to do something bad, but for a good purpose. And every step of the way, we're called to be good. This is the call that Paul puts before us. Be good to all people. And it starts here. Because again, I truly believe that when people get a glimpse of us loving one another, sacrificially, giving of, of ourselves for the other, that's something that people want to be a part of. They want to see Jesus Christ at work in our life. As we close this series, I think what Paul does masterfully is he, he lays out two choices for us. But you, don't, you can't land in the middle. You have one choice or the other. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Are you going to sow seeds to the flesh or sow to the Spirit? Which way will you walk? Because see, this, this matters for us how we live, but it also changes this whole community. Or community of transformed believers in Christ who live by the Spirit, and it changes this kind of group. You can go be part of a lot of different kinds of groups, but this group is called to be different. I love this quote. What people don't realize is how much religion costs. They think faith is a big electric blanket, when of course it is the cross. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on that hope. We live in light of that hope, but we don't forget that we're called to pick up our cross and follow him. We're called to give all that we are in the name of him, to be able to say, just like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
This is our hope for you, church, that you will be those kinds of people and that this community will walk with you, hold you accountable, give you a way to use your gifts and talents, that we will treat one another with love. As we close, I'm going to invite our shepherds and their wives to take their place on the wall. We want to be a community that will walk with you. and So you can go to them in prayer. If you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ, we want to help you, talk to you about baptism. Our baptistry is ready today. You know, in our country, we're in somewhat of an epidemic of loneliness. People say people are lonelier now than ever before. Social scientists have, have put some numbers on it. That they say it takes about 50 hours to make a new friend as an adult. 50 hours. If you only come Sunday mornings, that's going to take you a whole year. This is why we put before you ways to connect. This is part of our mission, that you would connect with the body of Christ. So you have a place for accountability, a place that people will love you, that you can use those gifts and talents that they've given. They say, if you want to become a, a great friend with someone, it takes about 200 hours. Church, this is where we hope that you'll find the community to lean on. The thing that they recommend most, though, is that a community that sings together grows together. They said, you should join a local choir, and I said, you should go to church. <laughs> so I want to invite you to stand with us as we will lift together in one voice praises to our Jesus Christ.